I'm really excited to teach this class. I got to tell you, though, this class has one weird appeal to me. It's got nerd appeal. This class is designed for the Bible nerd. Now, the problem is most of you are normal people. And you're not Bible nerds. So I thought, why on earth would I teach a class of normal people? Don't get me wrong. I figure statistically, we've got about two Bible nerds per table. We have a high proportion of Bible nerds in this class. But why would we teach? Now, here's an example of what I'm talking about. Many of you know uh, that I send this lesson out on Saturday morning generally uh, to a number of different people, including Mark Christmas and his team, who come up here and dedicate Saturday after Saturday after Saturday to making copies for you guys. And we should stop and just say thank you to them. Especially when I'm in trial and I can't get the lesson done until Saturday morning. They are just incredible and, and consistent and thorough. Um, but in addition to that, I, I email it out to about, I don't know, maybe a hundred people now. Among the people who are on that list is a gentleman that we were spending some time with yesterday, uh, Ken Starr. Ken is the president of Baylor University and Texas Tech was teaching Baylor some basketball last night. And so... <laughs> Becky and Rebecca and I went up uh, uh, and spent uh, uh, a good bit of the day with the stars and, and went to the game with them last night. Oh, it was really cool. And um, uh, uh, But in the process, Ken, of course, uh, uh, gets the lesson each week. So when we saw him yesterday morning, he said, uh, he said, Melchizedek, who cares? And I said, Ken... Bible nerds do. He says, but who else? What difference does it make to us? And I said, that's my predicament, trying to teach this class. So work with me because Melchizedek is very, 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 very important. And I don't care how much you've studied him. I promise you, I'm going to bring you something today you did not know about the Hebrews message of Melchizedek. All right? So here's how we're going to do it. Beginning, I admit I do have to work to get this idea of priests. Okay, I've got to warn you that my PowerPoint has had all sorts of problems this morning. I can't even begin to tell you the problems it had. If not for Chris Todd, we would not even have it this morning. Though that's what Mike was lobbying for. He wanted to see if I can speak without it. But I, it's it's going to look weird. And that's all. I can't do anything about it. So... Just accept that and we'll keep going. I have to work to get priests. I am a southern evangelical boy. And we don't do priests very well. You know, if I'd grown up in a Jewish world at the time of Jesus or before, I'd certainly understand priests. Because the the priesthood was so important and significant. Under the Mosaic law. So I could get priests then. Maybe if I was Catholic, I'd get priests. Because the priest, historically in the Catholic Church, has taken on a more significant role. But I don't get priests. 
in the sense that they existed in the biblical time. It's really hard for me to wrap myself around what a priest is. There's another fellow, a lawyer in our firm named Judd Waltman, who's an old Southern Baptist boy. He gets my lesson each Sunday. And he sent me an email yesterday or Saturday. And he sent me an email after he got it. And he said, very interesting. What are your thoughts on how Melchizedek became a priest at all, being that he doesn't appear to be an Israelite? And that he was a priest before God set up the priest system with Aaron. I emailed him back. He didn't get priests. I said, well, Judd. Many ancient societies had priests. The Egyptians had priests. The other Levantine, um, uh, the, the other societies around Israel had priests. For many societies, the king himself was a priest. For many societies, the king was a god. But you'll find priests going back before written civilization. And it makes some sense why. See if this doesn't put it together in some semblance for you. There's a crowd of people. Okay, I want you to be thinking ancient. Don't think 21st century. Okay, Clark, you got to get out of your engineering mindset today. I want you to go back 2,000 years. And I almost had your wife make us a Valentine cake to do this. I figured she could pull it off. Sorry, Judy. All right. So anyway, think priest. But think first, lots of primitive people. Now, these primitive people don't understand the weather. And so sometimes the storms come and hail and it devastates the crops. Sometimes it's a natural disaster of, of the opposite variety. There's no rain. It's a drought. And they don't sit there and say, oh gee, El Nino's acting up. Might be global warming. They don't sit there and say, huh, a high pressure ridge is built out over the Mediterranean. Then is sending torrents of water our way. A cold front is blowing in from the north, bringing with it hail when it mixes with the turbulent at, uh, uh, moisture in the atmosphere from the south. They, they, don't, they got no clue. All they know is, holy smoke, something bad is happening in the sky. Or then someone gets sick. They don't have any concept of germs. They don't have a concept of it's flu season. They don't have a concept of I ate some bad chicken. They don't have a clue why they've got a fever. Oh, gee, my body's fighting an infection. They don't understand what, uh, look, I've just spent a week in trial. I just spent three stinking days cross-examining this fellow who claims to be a pathologist, a slide looker. Okay? 
And this slide looker who makes a living looking at one one thousandth of an inch thin cuts from tissue carved out of a human being on an operating table. This slide looker decides he's going to testify about every other kind of medicine there is. So he's going to tell us why our orthopedic surgeons are wrong because he's a slide looker. He's going to tell us why the internal medicine doctor's wrong because he's a slide looker. He's going to tell us why the room... Now, if you're a slide looker, don't take offense at this. We need good slide lookers. But this fellow's testimony about everything in the world. They didn't have slide lookers back then. They're not able to look in a slide and say, Huh, that's a sarcoid-like granuloma. You may be having a foreign body tissue reaction to metal ions and debris. They didn't have that. Okay, So they've got people who all of a sudden someone is sick. Huh. They don't understand. It's Valentine's Day. I had to throw a heart in there. They don't understand why some people seem to find wonderful spouses and other people can't. They don't understand why sometimes love works and sometimes it doesn't. They're just at a real loss for a lot of this stuff. Now, God's put in all of us a drive for him. We are all made to be connected to God. I'm convinced there's not a human being alive who's sensitive to themselves that don't say, there's got to be more to life. I don't think there's a human being alive that's, to, to quote you too, that still hasn't found what they're looking for if they don't know God. Because there is some drive within us to connect with God. We were hardwired. We were built to connect with God. And if you're not connected to Him, You feel it inside. If you're sensitive, you sense it. So you've got a raft of people built to be connected to God. They know there's a higher power. They know there's something beyond them. But there are massive gaps in their knowledge that are very real every day. And here's what they do. God, Their unknown God becomes God of the unknown. Let me go to the Elmo. There's the, 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 the folks who deal with this call this, the social scientists who deal with this, call this the theory of the God of the gaps. We're not able to go to the Elmo. But if we could, I would draw you a picture. I would draw you a picture Of the God of the gaps. Here's the theory. There are gaps in what people knew. They didn't know the weather. Gaps in what people knew. They didn't know about bad health. Gaps about what people knew about how people click. and Things like that. And so since there's an unknown God. We just assign him as responsible for the gaps. So, hey. God must be in charge of the weather. Oh. (laughs) 
All right. Now, I want to tell you something. We have to struggle not to be God of the gaps people ourselves. We could say, why didn't the Elmo work before? Maybe God didn't want it to. When in fact, it was probably an electronic issue or a human issue. Now, that doesn't mean God can't use electronics in humans. He can and works through them. But, so here's the idea. Here are things we know. Here are things we don't know. Here are things we know. Here are things we don't know. Like that. You got it? So let's say we don't know why the weather is what the weather is. So the weather for ancient cultures was an unknown. We don't know health. Health for ancient cultures was an unknown. Now the ancient cultures did know that fire burns wood. So when the fire burns up the wood, the ancient culture doesn't say, It's God! They know why the wood is charred. It wasn't because of God. It's because the fire burned it. If you put meat on the grill, the ancient culture understood it cooked the meat. They didn't after they took their lamb chops and put them on the grill and the lamb chops were done. They didn't say God came down and mysteriously visited the grill and he transformed these lamb chops. They would just simply say, I cooked the lamb chops. But the weather, whoo, didn't understand the weather. So that must be God. God's really angry because it's not something they understood. And God fills in the gaps. They didn't understand health. That must be God. And God fills in the gaps. You follow what I mean? So they have this concept of God filling in the gaps. Now, I can't leave this, though I need to get back to the lesson. I can't leave this without telling you the Judeo-Christian worldview. The Jewish Christian worldview as revealed by God in Scripture is, it's not God filling the gaps, it is God everywhere. God made the fire that burns the wood. He made the system where it works. God's responsible for the meat as well as the system whereby it works. The laws of nature are the laws of God. The Apostle Paul said that we see God and his unseen qualities in the visible world around us and the way he's made it. So, going back, oh, y'all did it. Going back to the PowerPoint, here's what you have. This idea then, if God is the unknown God and he's God of the unknown, then everybody who doesn't know God is looking for that person who's got the key to unlock him. If you know God's responsible for your health, and you think God's responsible for your weather, and you know God's responsible for your drought, and you think God's responsible for your your, this, that, or the other, then everybody needs an in with God. Because I do not want my crops to fail. I want my wife to be healthy. I want my mom to feel better. So I want an inside with 
the difference maker, the one who's responsible. Now, that just makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, so priests were those select people who have a special access to God. They may understand God better. They may seem to be holier. In many ancient cultures, they knew the magic formulas to invoke God. So priests in all ancient cultures take on a special role and a a, a special uh, uh, place in the society because the people, the common people, want to go through that priest. That priest is who's going to unlock God for them. So we can put it this way. The priest can approach God on our behalf. The priest can then explain God to us. And the priest can instruct us in the ways of God. The closest I've come, I put in the introduction to the lesson, I love to travel. I love to travel. Love to travel with with my family. My favorite person in the world to travel with is my wife Becky, and for a number of different reasons. But one of the cool things about traveling with Becky is she's very linguistically gifted. She's fluent in Spanish, and so we can go anywhere in the Spanish speaking world. Now, I can I can do the essentials of Spanish. I can go into a restaurant and I can order food. But that's the limit of my Spanish. I know how to ask for the check. I know how to get a table in a non-smoking section. And I need and I know how to ask if the tips already included. Outside of that, I don't really have any Spanish. I can order the food I like. I can say hold the onions. Because I don't like onions. I can do that, but my wife I mean, it's just like, she can ask you how the fur on your dog is shedding on your carpet in Spanish. She's got it all. And so we'll go into, we were, we were driving, we rented a car and drove through the backwoods, actually they're plains, in Extremadura, Spain one time. And I mean, we're in villages where I don't think they had anybody who spoke English. And I was fine as long as Becky stood between me and whoever was talking. Because she could make sense of what I wanted to them and make sense of what they were saying to me. And it was marvelous. So we can kind of see that the priest starts to take on that role. The priests approach God on our behalf. Now... There's a lot of background to this. We are going to get to Melchizedek. Just work with me. So here's what you've got. The priest is unlocking this role. Now I want to tell you something very bizarre about Jewish and Christian faith. The Judeo-Christian faith is extremely unusual compared to other cultures and other beliefs, religions. Because in the Jewish-Christian faith system... The bizarreness is the following. God has sought to communicate with us. 
as opposed to first us seeking to communicate with him. The whole premise of Judeo-Christian faith is there's not just a God who is responsible for us being here, but he wants to be in relationship with us and he'll initiate the conversation. God called Abraham out of Ur. It wasn't Abraham saying, oh God, where are you? I'd like to find you. It's God who started the call. It's God who's seeking the relationship. It's God who's unlocking the door. Now, in the process of that, then, we do have a priest who can approach God on our behalf because God himself set it up that way. Moses goes to Mount Sinai, and on Mount Sinai, this is what happens. The unknown God who seeks to make himself known to humanity and the world. And the same unknown God seeks to not only make himself known, but he seeks to inform us about the world. He's the one who says the world's not magic. It is out of Judeo-Christian thought Western civilization accomplished so much. Because we understand the world's not magic. We understand it's cause and effect. We understand there are reasons. We understand that there's a logic and a consistency and an unchanging nature behind the laws of nature. Because that's the God who set it up. So we don't worry about, gee, I wonder if this time when I drop the pen, is it going to embarrass me in front of class because it floats up? No, it's not. It's going down, not because I'm a prophet, but because I know the way God set things up. And it's reliable. And so we have that. And so you see this now. God calls Abraham out of, the, out of, out of Ur. God calls the people out of Egypt. God sought them. God sought out Moses. God was in the burning bush. God's the one who said, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground, your sandals. God's the one who said, you go, you lead my people out of bondage. God's the one who led the way to Mount Sinai. God's the one who on Mount Sinai tells the people, I want you to have the following rules and instructions. And this would help the people walk before God holy. But we also understand in the fullness of time, this prepares the people for the Messiah. And so God lays it out there and God says, you're going to have a priest. And the priest will be, you'll have a high priest. You'll also have a priesthood. And they will approach me on your behalf. Because the lesson is, humanity does not approach God on his own. We are sinful. And so from the very inception of Sinai, God says sacrifices will be offered to atone for the sins of people. And then once a year, sacrifices even for himself, the high priest, before he comes in, the high priest will enter into my presence. And I'll forgive the sins of the people. But this is why Paul says Jesus had to die even if there was never going to be a church or Christianity at all. Because God in his patience had already forgiven the sins 
of countless people, including Father Abraham. But not because the bulls and the goats really paid the price. God still had to pay the price of giving his son. God says to Abraham, kill me your son. Abraham is about to, God says, time out, stop, I'll provide the sacrifice. Now, at the time, it was a, a, a ram caught in a thicket. But in reality, it would be the son of God. You see the obvious foreshadowing there. And so that's what you've got. Now, with that background, let's consider the role of the priesthood with Abraham and Melchizedek. And I need to move because I took too long to set it up. I'm sorry. But uh, here's the story. Abraham and Melchizedek. You find Abraham only in three, I mean Melchizedek, only in three places in the Bible. You'll find him in the book of Genesis, chapter 14, verses 17 through 20. You'll find him in Psalm 110. And you'll find him in Hebrews 5 through 7. Now, as we look at these accounts, I want us to realize two things. Number one, Hebrews was written to a Jewish culture that was considering returning to their traditional Judaism and abdicating from their Messianic or Christian Judaism. Leaving Jesus as Messiah, or at least kind of setting it aside and just returning to their childhood faith, traditional Judaism. But those Jews were products of their culture just like we are today. Um, I, I can make a Super Bowl reference to you. And whether you watch the Super Bowl or not, you'll get it. I can reference the Super Bowl and whether you're a football fan or not, You get it because we are a culture where the Super Bowl is significant to our culture. You with me? Here's something you may not know. Melchizedek was a key character in the culture at the time of the first century. Melchizedek is not, yes, in the Bible, three places, but in Jewish writing outside the Bible, Melchizedek was very prominent, very well known, very talked about. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at the Genesis story, but then I also want us to look at Melchizedek at the time in Jewish thought. Because those recipients of Hebrews who were thinking about returning to their traditional Judaism They'd been taught about Melchizedek in traditional Judaism, even beyond what we have in Scripture. And it makes the comparison of Jesus to Melchizedek just, you go, what? That's crazy. Okay? So here's what we got to do. Let's look at the Genesis account first. Genesis 14. And we've got the trusted Elmo. Are we able to go back to the trusted Elmo, we think? Yes, no, maybe? Yes. Yes! Victory. Okay. Here's the story. Lot is a nephew of of Abraham. Lot's been uh, taken in battle. And Abraham and his uh, uh, helpers, his his workers, his, his household, as it would be called then, Abraham and his troops... They go out and they rescue Lot. 
They defeat the kings who had taken him. And Abraham comes back. And after this success, we get to verse 17. After his return from the beat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, that'd be from the south, went out to meet Abraham at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, and, here's, here you are, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of El Elyon, God Most High. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High. Who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. That's it. That's the story of Melchizedek. You now have it. I want your Old Testament knowledge to be complete. So I'll give you the only other time outside of the New Testament book of Hebrews that we read about Melchizedek. And it's in Psalm 110. The Lord, Yahweh, this is Hashem in uh, the name, this is the name of God, Yahweh, says to my Lord, Adonai, different Hebrew word there for Lord, the one who shall remain unnamed, God, says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is a messianic psalm. This is a psalm that was understood in the first century as talking to the Messiah, to the anointed one who was expected. Yahweh sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Yours being the anointed ones, the Messiahs. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now you've read every Melchizedek passage there is in the Bible until we get to the book of Hebrews. So let's parse for just a moment what we know about Melchizedek from these passages. Shall we write it down together? Genesis 14. Here's what we learn. Melchizedek, first of all, he's got a name. Melchizedek. Now here's what I'm going to suggest to you. So we're just going to lay it out. We're going to be bold here. Let's see. I got to get this just right. Let's be bold and let's lay it out. Because what you're going to see is a huge analogy between Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And Jesus. All right. 
So, Melchizedek, first of all, he pre-exists all of Moses and the Mosaic Code. This story, the timeline is, he is already a priest before Moses and all of the Levitical priests and all of the high priests. So just the date is before Judaism because there aren't any Jews because they come from the tribe of Judah and Judah hadn't been born yet. There aren't any Israelites because they come from Abraham. And at this point, we don't even have Abraham. We have Abram. He hasn't even had his name changed by the Lord yet. So this is before Abraham, in a sense. And of course, Jesus is from eternity. We'll talk about it more. Melchizedek, a marvelous um, combination of two Hebrew words. Now, the first may actually be a name. But it certainly is also rooted off of the Hebrew letters Melech, which means M-E-L-E-C-H. Melech is king. Melech, Sedek. Sedek in the Hebrew means righteousness or legitimateness. Righteous or legitimate. So Melchizedek, by his name, is the righteous king, the legitimate king. His name can mean the king is righteous or legitimate. Okay? So we have his name. He's also listed as the Melech of Salem, the king of Salem. Salem, the king... Of, do y'all know how to say Salem? Shalom. Same word. S and S-H, same letter in the Hebrew. So he's the king, what does Shalom mean? He's the king of peace. Now some scholars believe it's also an early title or an alternate title for Yeru Shalom. Jerusalem. Which means the foundation of peace. The king of peace. And the king of priests brought out bread and wine. Bread and water would be pauper's food. Bread and wine is something much more. It's food for a king. So here, let's, let's, let's keep going here for just a minute. He brings out bread and wine, and he breaks bread and wine with Abraham. And then we see that he's priest of God Most High. So he is that intermediary between people and God. And he, Melchizedek, blessed Abraham and said, blessed be Abraham by God most high and blessed be God most high. You've got blessed Baruch three times here. Special number three just denotes a a complete holiness here. So Melchizedek blesses. In fact, Max, where'd you go? I don't have my glasses on. Max, you got your triangle right here. 
you got your triangle right here. God, Melchizedek, God, Melchizedek, and Abraham. And Abraham blesses, I mean, Melchizedek blesses Abraham where God will bless Abraham. And in like manner, that blesses God. It's the full triangle. Melchizedek blesses, I mean, yes, Melchizedek blesses Abram and says, Blessed be Abram by God and blessed be God who delivered your enemies into your hand. Now, we skip from that to Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 talks about a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And it's referencing to the Messiah. And in comes Jesus. Jesus is not made. It's very apparent. You know, look, if there's anything Judaism stands for, it's there is one God. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And a good practicing Jew would pray that at the time of Jesus multiple times every day. Jesus as God is not G. There came a time where God like a cell split into two. And we have meiosis or mitosis, whichever one that is, Janet, I don't remember. You've got the cell that splits into two. No, God didn't become two gods. God is still one. But in the midst of this one God, there is, in a sense, three different personages. It's very hard to understand, but that's because we're human. So Jesus pre-existed his incarnation, and Jesus is from the beginning. By the way, this is exactly what Hebrews is telling us to do. Before we even get to that passage in Hebrews that talks about Melchizedek, the whole book of Hebrews starts out with, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. This is one of the many ways he spoke of Jesus through the prophets. Not simply by the words, but the encounter between Melchizedek and Abraham. That encounter is one. Where the king of righteousness, that's who Jesus is. King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the king of righteousness. He is perfection. He is the image of what God would be as a human. Because he's the very icon, the very image of God. He is the king of righteousness. He is the prince of peace. These are all titles given to Jesus. Breaking bread and wine with the people. Those are the communion elements. That is the Lord's Supper. Oh, I left out of the passage in Genesis 14, by the way. I left out the passage at the end where it talks about Abraham giving a tenth... 
at the end. Abraham gives him a tenth of everything. That's the tithe. But Jesus is the intermediary between us and God. It is in Jesus that we are blessed. And we bless Jesus when we share and lift up his name. In the good things we do in his name, it blesses him. That's the same triangle. And so Jesus is the intermediary. He's the blessing. Now, along comes this whole ironic priesthood and the Levitical priesthood. And you have the high priest and all of that system that's set up through Moses. And it exists for well over a thousand years. But even in the process of that, the Jewish people knew that something more was coming. Ah, we're running out of time. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I want to read you a Dead Sea Scroll. A Jewish writing predates the birth of Jesus by about 50 years, scholars think. It's called the coming of Melchizedek. This is what the people were expecting. It happens in the year of Jubilee. You have seven seven-year periods. In the 50th year, it was a year of Jubilee. When, when under the law of Moses, you restored, uh, slaves were set free. You restored land that, that was not yours, that you had had, uh, uh, had and, and, and taken possession of as collateral and things like that. But Melchizedek was seen as a coming Messiah. Concerning what Scripture says, in this year of Jubilee, you'll return every one of you to your every one of you, to your property. And this is the manner every creditor will remit the claim that's held. You forgave all of the debts, not exacting it of a neighbor who's a member of the community. Here's the key. Because God's remission has been proclaimed. It, the interpretation, the Jewish interpretation of this passage in the Old Testament was that it applied to the last days. That the Jubilee itself was an expression of how God would forgive the sins of people in the last days. And who they would do it. This is the inheritance of Melchizedek. And the people are the inheritance of Melchizedek. And he's going to be responsible for returning to them what's rightfully theirs. He'll proclaim to them the forgiveness, the Jubilee. And forgive them not of their debts, but of their sins. Melchizedek is coming to forgive the people of their sins. And this word will come in the first week of the Jubilee period, which is the day of atonement. When he shall atone for all the sons of light and the people who are predestined to Melchizedek. And it just goes on and on and on. In the interest of time, I've got to cut down some. You can get these at your friendly neighborhood theological library. This visitation... Of Melchizedek is the day of salvation that God has decreed through Isaiah the prophet concerning the captives. In Isaiah 61, it says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace. Melchizedek is the king of peace who announces peace. The prince of peace who brings good news and announces salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. The mountains are the prophets. Those who sent are to proclaim the truth to all of Israel. And the messenger is the anointed of the spirit. Do you know what the word anointed is in Hebrew? Do you remember? Messiah. Mashiach. What's anointed in Greek? Christos. 
Christ. This is, and the Christ, or the messenger, is the Christ of the Spirit, of whom Daniel spoke. The messenger who brings good news, who announces salvation, is the one of whom it's written, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This is it. Your divine being is Melchizedek, who will deliver them from the power of the evil one, of Satan, of Belial. So let the trumpet sound. Your divine being reigns. Now the Jews who understood this, who grew up on this literature, are hearing this passage from from Hebrews, and they're seeing now, oh yeah, all of that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus did bring the salvation. Jesus is truly the from beginning. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the righteous one. He is the legitimate one. He is the prince of peace, the king of peace, who gives us not just peace, but peace. A peace with God. A peace with ourselves. A peace that allows us to see the world in a very different light than anyone else. Because we see it clearly. He breaks bread and wine with us. And the bread is his body which was broken for us. And the wine is his blood which was poured out for us. Because he has become our intermediary. And he is a priest forever. As Psalm 110 says. After the order of Melchizedek. So we go back to the PowerPoint. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing story. Even for a Southern Baptist boy like me. So here are my points for home. Number one, C. I want to see this. I want to see the, the triangle. Blessed be Abraham. Blessed be God. I want to see that triangle form around not just Melchizedek in the Old Testament. But the fulfillment. Jesus. Blessed be. Is it not Boggle your minds that Jesus prayed for you and me. That the Lord Jesus Christ, before he was, he has a high priestly prayer and he prays, Lord, I'm praying not just for these who are with me now, but for those who will come after, who will believe just based on their testimony. Jesus prayed for us. He is our high priest. He has interceded on God's behalf and blessed be God. I want to see that. I want to learn. Abraham gives a tenth of everything. He gives a tithe. I want to be a giver. I don't want to be a giver because of what I get out of it. I want to be a giver. I want to learn how to be a giver. I want to learn how to give. I want to learn how to give love, not just to receive love back. I want to learn how to give possessions, not just to get something back. I want to learn how to give time, not just to get something back. I want to learn how to give what I have and be a giver because I want to be like the one who gave it all. And I want that character to grow in me. And so finally, amen, yes, Lord. I want to accept. Melchizedek met Abraham and Abraham didn't just keep going. He accepted the divine encounter. God seeks us. It's just a question of whether we accept or whether we run. Can I bless you in the name of Jesus?
Lord, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless all who hear your word. Bless them with peace. Bless them with righteousness. Bless them with a forgiving heart and spirit. Bless them with a giving heart. Continue to grow us up in the grace of Jesus. And as you do so, Lord, may you be blessed by what we do and how we live. For that is our goal. Through our priest, our intermediary, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.